Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. I want to talk to you a little bit about love the hard way. Love the hard way. And in this series that we're doing, the love series, the Lord took me to an, a strange place to scatter divine seed. A strange place to pull in a Valentine's Day weekend sermon, you know, um, where you're supposed to be talking about love and supposed to have warm, fuzzy feelings. And we're all supposed to go home happier. And this was a shock to me, not only because of the story, but because of the setting, the latter first century of the church and what was going on in the context of that culture. And so I want to just read to you a little bit, but to start out, I just want to tell you that um, I, I know that God is here and I know that God spoke to me. And I realize that that's kind of strange to hear from somebody because we're not supposed to maybe hear from God. Um, he didn't speak to me in an audible voice, but last night an angelic presence came to my room and he just began to love me. And when I deal with these kind of things, I might be a little bit emotional. It may be just because I'm 45 and I have more estrogen in my body than testosterone. I don't know. But it could also be that I'm feeling the Lord and someone is going to be changed today by the love of the Lord. I believe that much. I believe it that much. I believe his love is that powerful that it changes lives. And maybe by the end of the day, you'll surrender up your heart to the Lord and say, love me like that. So an Ethiopian eunuch was trying to figure out what the Lord was saying to him through the gospel, I mean, through the, the word of God, through Isaiah's writings. And Philip was assigned the task of going to him. And in Acts chapter 8 and verse 25, we see that Philip is given a task that most people probably would have just brushed off and said, God, that's for somebody else. You got the wrong address. But in Acts chapter 8, verse number 25 says and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip saying arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza which is what God sent him into the desert God sent him in the desert with a message of love and he arose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia a man of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah, or Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit said unto him, Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran, everyone say ran. It's very important thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and he said understand that what thou readest and he said how can I except some man should guide me 
And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him in the place in which scripture, the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shears. So he opened not his mouth and in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. His judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, and of, of himself or of some other man? Of course, we know he's speaking about Jesus. Amen, somebody? Then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him who? Jesus. Lord, bless the hearing of your word. Help me to do a good job today. Impress, Lord Jesus, upon our hearts the power of your love and strengthen us in our understanding of what you can do when we surrender all of ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. You may be seated. It's kind of an interesting story when we apply God's salvation to our life and then start using our testimony to tell people about how God loves you. It's powerful to me because I don't have a story that's glossy. I don't have one that polishes up well. And maybe you don't either. Maybe you've been through some hard knocks. Anybody been to the school of hard knocks? Well, some of you may not want to admit that, but we've, we've all been there. But when you go through hard times, sometimes you take on baggage. Anybody ever had baggage? You know, like just the stuff that you hastily packed on a quick vacation and there's clothing all coming out of it and stuff is, you know, it's just like you don't even know if it's going to make it to the vacation destination, but you're out of time. That's kind of like what my life has been like for a long time, where I, I just really feel like the Lord was trying to use me, but I didn't know how his love was going to work it all out. You know, so I, I kind of spent time trying to figure out how to learn to love how to love in relationships, how to be a good person, and how to say the right things at the right moments. And then when I grew up in church, I played drums, like Reese was doing today, so great. Um, and so I didn't have to really do a whole lot of talking. I wasn't expected to be the guy with the microphone ever. And so I just kind of learned how to learn when to worship, when to raise my hands, when to clap, where to be, what time. You know, I, I, was, I grew up in church. I knew how to praise God. I knew what I was supposed to do, what was expected of me. But I never really dealt with the heart issues. I went through the motions a lot of times, but I never dealt with the heart issues. And whenever you deal with heart issues and heart issues, um, it starts to bring up voices from your past and things that want to tell you that you're not really worthy of being there. You're not really the person that everybody would choose. Nobody would endorse you. You're not the front man that you know is going to lead this thing, and everybody wants, or the front woman, or everybody wants to be, you know, in line with what you're doing. That's that's the kind of stuff that starts talking to you, and the enemy will use as a way to lie to you, and he'll speak and whisper things to you, and you have to be willing to let love get the louder voice in your life. You have to be willing to let love have that place where no matter what comes to your mind, no matter what thought you have, no matter whether you feel worthy or not, you understand this book very well or not, and you're trying to, you're trying to read it, trying to digest it, try to put it in your heart that you won't sin against God. All the things that you're doing, living life, doing things the best you can when someone cuts you off in traffic and you want to say that word or you want to, like on our way to church here, this 
woman was just perpetually flipping the middle finger to everybody in the left lane. I mean, that it, whenever you have moments of flesh that just rise up in you, you have to know that there's grace for you. There's hope in a situation where you feel like there's no hope. And there is love that has got to be the louder voice in your life. And when the things we talk about that are hard to love or are so uncomfortable for us to hear to the ear, we have to understand that one of the most uncomfortable things is for us to love ourselves the hard way, for us to love ourselves like Jesus loved us, where he died on a cross for us. He took scars for you. He took scars for me, and his scars are his success story. If you want to know what really marks success in the word of God, he'll show you they're in his hands, they're in his feet. God reached out and took a hold of my life with his grace, and he reached out and took a hold of your life with his love and he did it with nail scarred hands he did it with hands that didn't have to he did it with hands that didn't need to he did it with hands that were holy and righteous and supreme he flung stars in the night he knew how to spin globes and planets but whenever he came down to this earth he said I will handle them with scars in my hands I will handle them with hurt in my heart I will handle them with a love that goes to a cross and when they put that spear in his side blood and water flowed telling us that his heart literally ruptured in his chest Jesus died of a broken heart because he loved you the hard way he loved us the hard way he didn't take the easy road. He didn't take the back streets just because he wanted to be from Nazareth. He took the hard way. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Yes. My Savior came to earth. My Savior took the hard way. My Savior, the creator of the universe, and you and I put himself in subjection to his own creation and fulfilled prophecy that could never be fulfilled by someone who wasn't God in flesh he made himself lower than the angels he walked through this earth and I know he is father in creation he's son in redemption he's Holy Spirit that comforts us in this life today but thanks be to God that he is above all and through all and in us all amen that he's above all as father through all as Jesus Christ in this earth and in all of us in the Holy Spirit that we now live comforted and empowered, and that voice speaks to us because God is not just somebody who loved us the hard way. He isn't someone who just loves, but he is love. God is love. It's different from us because we love based upon reciprocity. If I can, if I can see that you like me or that you love me or that you care for me, then it's easy for me to love you back. And that's not the picture of scripture here. That's not the story I pulled today for us. The story I pulled for us today is of an Ethiopian eunuch that nobody cared about. In fact, if you understand the biblical text, you realize that the New Testament written in Greek and Aramaic, we understand that the eunuchs of that time were often poor boys that were castrated. And I'm sorry, I have to say this from the pulpit, but they were castrated at a young age to be made servants. And they were purchased. They were property. They were purchased by wealthy families, and they were brought into the home because, A, they could not mess up their heritage. The lineage of the wealthy family would not be messed up by a man who messed around as a servant. And number two, 
that they thought that they were more sedate as men, better carers instead of aggressive because they were castrated or changed by surgery. And so a lot of young boys would be forced to take on this kind of surgery in order for them to be sold and go into the service of wealthy families. And this is very much possibly the case of this individual who served Candace, this Ethiopian eunuch. But you have to go back to get the backstory. You can't really start here and understand the gravity of what's going on in this scripture. And if you just hang with me for a minute, I promise you it'll bless you to hear this. If you go all the way back to Acts chapter 1 and 6 through 8, you can kind of see the beginnings of what's going on in the book of Acts, where the first century church is beginning to be persecuted. And it's not like someone has cut them off or that someone has, you know, blocked their call or they're, dis- they're ignoring their social media. You know, they're not. It's not like that. They're being killed. They're being murdered. They're being marginalized for the gospel's sake, for Jesus Christ. It's not like they're got, they've gotten up and they're having a bad day or that their hair didn't go right <laughs> or they didn't, they, they didn't get what they wanted from their job or they, they, they've been working in, 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 a, in a dead-end job for long enough and, and now it's just like they're never going to get that promotion they'd hoped for. So they're driving through traffic in a roadblock and they're asking the question, is it going to get any better? That's not what this is. What they're saying is we are being persecuted for the the name of Christ. We're being put in graves for it. And so then they asked the question, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, they asked Jesus this question saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? He's, they're like, are you going to set up on the throne? Are you going to set up your throne so that we get an easier life? Is it going to be better for us following you? Because we've been oppressed and, and we've been beaten down. And Jesus says, no, no, it's unfortunately not going to get any better. But he said, he said unto them, it's not for you to know the times or the season which my father had put in my hands. It's not for you to know. And in fact, it's a no, but the next verse says, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. His answer to the difficult things was, I'm going to love you by putting my love in you. I'm going to put my love inside you by the power of my spirit. And that love is going to give you the ability to be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, where they're being persecuted. They're being persecuted. Okay, so you've got the picture. And in all Judea and in Sumeria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we jump from there to a very powerful story where one of God's disciples is being literally killed. And so this is such a happy story time, isn't it? I'm giving you all the fun stuff. But Stephen is stoned. I mean, they take, they take, you know, they, they take boulders, they take rocks, and Stephen is telling the gospel message in a, such a powerful way that they're quickened and they don't want to know that Jesus is God in flesh. They don't want to know that Jesus will be the sacrifice to Jehovah, that we can't get back to God unless we go through Jesus Christ. They didn't want to hear that because that removes them from the ceremonial law that they were perfect in. These people were perfect in the law. They did everything right. They crossed all the T's. They dotted all the I's. They were in church. They were in their place. They knew what to do and when to do it. And now Jesus, and now Stephen is telling them, you crucified the very one who was God. You missed him. And they're like, we don't want to hear that. So they picked up rocks to stone him a physical death. 
And Stephen was a good friend of Philip, the one that we read about in this passage that I bring to you. So the backstory is the church is being persecuted. Jesus said, no, it's not going to get any better, but I'm going to put the Holy Ghost inside of you that's going to make you so bold that you're going to literally attack that which is attacking you. You're not, not to fight with the weapons of warfare, but to literally fight spiritual warfare because spirit's going to change the earth, amen, because prayers can change the natural. And that's what he was trying to say as we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but spiritual powers, principles, you know, spiritual wickedness in high places. And so he said, we're not going to fight this with weapons that are carnal. But we're going to fight this with spiritual weapons. And you're going to do that through the power of my spirit. And so not, not any, I don't think there's anyone, even, even psychologists would look at the scripture and say, this is a good time for them to take a step back. You know, just back up the bus, wait a few, you know, weeks, months, years, till it cools down in Jerusalem and in Judea, where we're preaching about right now in the scriptures. In that area, uh, you know, of Judea, just, just take a break and don't be so bold with the gospel. Because it's killing you, literally. It's killing you. And Saul is already in a rampage. He's ravaging the church, the original Greek says, which means he's pursuing them to the point of imprisonment or murder or killing them. And at that point, you and I would be like, all right, I'm just going to hop online and watch a few sermons here at home. I'm going to stay in for my spiritual feeding. And what they did was they didn't get quiet they didn't get sedate and well we'll talk about this when it's more convenient and the truth of the matter is i bring to you today that when god's love is in you you need to learn to love people regardless of whether they like you or not and you also need to understand that people liking you is not an indicator of whether you should share god's love with them in fact the most hostile individual can be turned by you showing love to them. So, friend, sister of ours in another church, she uh, turned 40 and she, she didn't have her husband yet. She said her husband never stopped for direction, so that's why she, he didn't. And she decided that if she didn't have a husband by 40, she was going to get a Harley-Davidson because she just loved to ride bikes. She grew up on bikes. Her dad was a Pentecostal in Texas, and they had a big ranch, and she used to ride dirt bikes. She loved them. And I don't care what you think about that. I'm not worried about that. That's just part of the story. But she decided to buy a Harley. So she rode a lot, and she lives in Tennessee area, and she decided that she was going to be more Pentecostal, and she was going to try to do some things that made sense. And she, because she was impressed by a missionary that came through, she decided to adopt a Haitian girl, a young Haitian girl. And so she adopted this young Haitian girl and she knew that there's inherent risk with motorcycle riding and she just didn't want to put her on two wheels. So she went looking on Craigslist and hopefully didn't find someone that wanted to murder her. <laughs> she said, but she found somebody who was selling a, a Honda Goldwing with a dauntless carriage on the side. It was the coolest looking thing you ever saw. And that way, her little daughter, Missy, could ride with her, and they could be more appropriate in riding. So they're out riding the lower roads of Nashville, Tennessee, and this blue truck pulls up on them with a rebel flag in the back. And they 
start yelling slurs because straight-haired mamas aren't supposed to have curly-haired babies. Hello, somebody. Jesus hates racial discrimination. I should have got a better amen than that. Jesus hates racism because he loves everybody. So they were throwing soda cans at them, and they were saying stuff, and it just went over Missy's head. She totally missed it. She didn't even realize that they were addressing their hate at them. And they went on, and, and they were okay. And then another time, about three, four weeks later, they went out for a lovely ride. They came up on this road, and Lisa looked in her mirror, and she saw that that same blue truck was pulling up behind them, and she said she just tensed up because she didn't know what they were going to do. And sure enough, they upped the ante, and they started by pulling up alongside of them. And she said she just slowed down because she knew we're in trouble. We're out on a dirt road. I mean, out on a back road, and, and we're exposed here. We, we don't have any protection, and, and these, guys are, these guys are unbelievable. And they pulled up, and they began to yell at her and call names and even use the N-word toward the daughter and, and began to throw stuff again. And she, she slowed down, and then they began to edge her off the road. And she ended up in the ditch, but they didn't get hurt, and the truck went on. And that time, Missy didn't miss it. It didn't go over Missy's head. She realized what was going on. They were attacking them with racism. And even though she didn't quite understand it, she didn't know why people would treat us like that. So when they got home, Lisa knew she was going to have to talk to her about it. And so she sat her down and she said, baby, I want to talk to you for just a minute about what just happened. And I want to clarify to you and help you to understand what that was. Because it, it didn't feel good, did it? And she's like, no, mama, it didn't. And she said, well, baby... And then, of course, Missy said, Mama, why would somebody treat us like that? She said, well, honey, sometimes when people live little lives, they surround them with themselves with other people who live little lives. And when they live little lives, they have little thinking and they have little hearts. And because of the environment that they put themselves in with a bunch of people that think the same way as they do, their heart doesn't get a chance to grow any bigger. And she said to the little Missy, she said, so you know what we have to do? And she was driving toward having your antenna up and being careful. If you're in a place where there's a lot of people that have faces and, and hair different than you, then just be aware, not to be uh, you know, upset or, or, or to be bitter about it, but just be aware in that environment that there are some inherent risks that you're not like everybody else. She was trying to drive that way, and when she asked a rhetorical question to Missy, Missy said, oh, yeah, Mama, I know what we need to do. And she's like, what's that? She goes, we need to help them get bigger hearts. That's what Jesus did for me. That's what Jesus did for you. When you got filled with God's Spirit, or when you took on Christ in your life, he started working on your heart. He started expanding you. And that expansion 
affects every area of your life. The way you think, the way you talk, the way you look at other people, you will start literally having generational curses pushed out of your life as your heart expands and as you grow and you find yourself not knowing how to love people, but you love them anyways. You find yourself embracing people and hugging people at church that are not like you, don't even have the same political beliefs, don't even have the same understanding but you're not allowed to be little anymore. You're not allowed to have a little life anymore. You're not allowed to have a little heart anymore because God's love is in you and his love is always expansive. So God reaches out through many different things, but I see that in the story they were sharing the understanding that God opens us up and does heart surgery and takes out that stony heart. It puts in, as scripture says, a heart of flesh. It gives you a way to love when you have no way to love yourself. And I guess what I mean by that is you don't just love your favorite food. I mean, I, I get it. I love carbs like anybody else. I, I'll eat the bread you won't eat if you like. <laughs> if you're paleo, God bless you. But Jesus said he's the bread of life. So I don't think paleo's in his repertoire. I think Jesus loved us to eat little carbs every once in a while. <laughs> Sorry, that got out of hand. I see that now. But what happened here is Stephen should have taken it easy. But instead, he shares all of his story, all of his experience with God. And for that, he dies a martyr's death. And Saul is holding the coats who ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. He's still ravaging the church, but he sees for the first time someone willing to die for what they believe. And it changes everything. Because we have the Apostle Paul who gets knocked off his horse on the way to Costco. And just kidding, it was Damascus. But I'm just trying to keep you engaged. <laughs> Good job, Pastor. That's why. Good job. Um, so I see that not only is Paul continuing because God hasn't given him the experience of his transformation yet, but then Philip, who loses his best friend, should be consoling himself, should be spending time with the church in Jerusalem talking about how great Stephen is. And yes, they did memorialize Stephen with much lamentation, the scripture says, but Philip hears from God that he needs to go into the desert. This isn't, the, the road from Jerusalem to Gaza is not like a freeway. It's not even a secondary route. It's like a tertiary back, to give you an understanding of the way that, you know, Philip had to travel to get to this eunuch. It would be like taking a small dirt road with tumbleweeds and other stuff in the way that you have to get out of the car and move out of the way to get to where he needed to go. But Jesus knew there was a man there that was hungry for the word of God. He was hungry for Jesus. And he didn't know what he was reading, but he, he was hungry for the word of God. And sometimes love makes you go the hard way. Sometimes love has you do the hard things. Anybody ever had to love someone the hard way? Anybody ever feel like you ran out of ability to love something and then God just miraculously gives you more love and it changes everything? Anybody ever been there in this place? Amen. 
I believe I'm speaking to somebody. I believe this message, even if it's just for one of you, this message is for you today. That God literally had a man who's supposed to be grieving at this moment, and instead he's running to the lost, the ones that nobody else wanted. The Ethiopian eunuchs were not allowed to, to worship in the Jewish synagogues because of their body not being whole. And I want to preach to somebody who feels like they're unworthy, they don't have it right, that maybe... They they have self-esteem and body issues. Maybe they feel like they're not enough. I want you to know that God will send a man of God to you in a desert place where you feel dry and lost. God will send somebody to you the hard way to get to you and to change your life and to speak to you a word in a good season to turn you around and say, I do have hope. He does love me. He would send for me. Amen, somebody. Not only that, but it gives me hope as a pastor because when I see the body of Christ, the church fragmented and issues going on and people struggling, I know that Jesus sends his love into broken places. Jesus sends his love to people who nobody else would even recognize or care about. They didn't even want him in Jerusalem in the temple to worship. You find some other place. You're not good enough. But God sent Philip, who came from a revival in Samaria. He went to the people everybody hated. Then God sent him to somebody who was even worse. And the interesting thing is here, Philip should be saying, no, I need to go to the funeral. No, I need to, I need to mourn my friend Stephen. But instead of saying, I need to take a break, Jesus, no more assignments for a little while, if you don't mind. Instead, the Bible says he responded by running. He ran into the hard places. He went after the ones that nobody wanted. He pursued when nobody else was pursuing. He was the only one on that road going to that Ethiopian eunuch appointment, and yet he did not just walk there. He ran with the love of God toward that man. And when he got there, he shared with him the gospel of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Because you see, love won on the cross. I was watching a testimonial of an individual online, and it was, it was a beautiful testimonial. I think I sent it out this week, and he was talking about his aunt had cancer, and all of her hair is gone, and she's just battling chemo, and she's going through it. And he said, you know, I have a good life. And yet she gets the love of God better than I do most days. Whenever my kids wake me up too early or whenever I'm going through things at work or I'm having difficulties, I can easily forget that God even exists sometimes. Everything that's right in front of me is all I see. Instead of realizing that God can use the small things to show me some really crazy huge love. So he said she got it in... He was talking to her about her treatments, and, and she paused for a minute. And she said, you think this cancer's going to get me? You think I'm going to let this cancer win? Whether I go to the grave or not, I'm going to be with the Lord. And he said, he said wow, I was just so impressed. She goes, this cancer's never going to win. She goes, because it, my Jesus won a long time ago. 
at a cross. And we have to understand that love won a long time ago in every situation of our lives. That love won a long time ago in the building of the relationship that broke in your life. Love won a long time ago in bringing your family back to God. Love won a long time ago in restoring you and restoring you back to what God wants you to be. Love won a long time ago. And so I was just preparing the sermon and at work there's a door that we use for the elevator and on the door someone put a little plaque that said, he is the God who healeth me. And that's all it says. And for some reason it just resonated with me yesterday. And uh, I, I realized in my own self that you may not relate to this and that's okay. But I want you to understand where I came from and why this sermon means so much to me because this is more of a message to the heart that needs to know that Jesus loves them than it is a sermon that I'm giving. Because I grew up in brokenness. I was so stinking broken in 20s and 30s. I didn't even know how to do things right. When I married my wife, she had all these ready-made opinions about everything. And it all came from a healthy upbringing. And so you have this person who's trying to marry someone that's completely broken. And it's like, how does it even work? And it was affecting intimacy. It was affecting our communication. It was affecting everything. And we should have been a statistic, but God's love stepped in the hard way. Amen, somebody. And so I began to experience the love of God washing over me and, and trying to heal me. And I was so grateful and so open to it. But there were places in my heart I didn't even know were damaged by the abuse that I had gone through. And if you know you have a story like this, I, I understand. We all have stories. And I'm not here to preach my opinion because my opinion doesn't matter. We all have them. But if I preach the anointed word of God, it changes lives. And I want you to know that his grace was big enough to pull me and lift me and say, arise, child. You don't have to be in that situation anymore. You don't have to go through any more of that problem. But that is actually the thing that I want to talk to you about. His love did not pull me out of all of the things I had to go through. But his love built the character in me that allows me to now drive into Milwaukee and pick up people, go places where nobody else would go. When others say, yeah, yeah, just let them find their way to service, I say, no, let's go to them and bring them to service. Let's do what others won't do. Let's run to those that are rejected. Run to those that are hurt. Run to those that feel they're unworthy. Because I know what it's like to be there. I know what it's like to go through that feeling. Because you see, I grew up with a heritage. My grandfather planted churches. My mother was a praying mother. So a lot of times whenever I would go through struggles of learning how to love God and have his spirit in me that loves me so much, I would find myself unknowingly resisting God's love because I thought he just saved me because he felt sorry for me because of all that I had been through. Instead of deserving his love, I thought it was just something that he did because my grandfather was a good preacher or my mother had good prayers for me. But instead, he came and he spoke to me and he said, I love you and I'm the God who heals you with my love. I want you to know whatever broke in you, it has, it's no match for the love of God. And there is no past that can affect your future. 
In fact, I understand that if Saul stood and held coats and then became the great apostle Saul at his conversion, there is not only nothing in your past that can change God's future for you, but it won't even slow down the future God has for you. In fact, you can be in one place one week and be in a completely different place the next week in God because his love is that powerful. He can turn it around that fast. He can change things that quickly. Amen? And that's what I believe about the love of God. And then knowing my lostness informed my love for others. How lost I was. How messed up as a young man I was. And how unworthy I felt. And yet Jesus comes and heals us. And So while I was dealing with this particular sermon, I... I, I began to go back through the different checkpoints of my life and remembering as a nine-year-old boy being stuck in my room and the only time that I got any kind of interaction at times was to leave and go down to the corner gas station to buy the Sunday paper. I'm sorry, the Saturday paper. That was my trip. And I knew everything in that little gas. I, I would spin through the card rack just so that I didn't have to go back home because when I got home, I had to go back to my bedroom. And the only time my stepdad came through that door was to beat me. You have to understand that when you're broken like that, you don't accept love very well. But his love was enough to change everything for me. And so whenever I would spend time in my room and I, I, I would do things to occupy myself. I didn't feel like I deserved everything I got because there was so much that was put into my life that then a matter of six months or so, we would move and we changed job. My, my dad changed from job to stepdad, changed from job to job. And so we would move two, three times a year sometimes with his job changes, all for the same parent company, but he was working in computers. So he had one job and then he moved to another job and we were moving from different states. And I was so used to stuff coming into my life and leaving that I didn't expect it to stay. And so when I encountered the greater things of God, I didn't expect him to stay. And when I encountered love and when I got married, I didn't, didn't really expect it to stay. But God knew how to love you the hard way through people, amen? And he loved me the hard way through my pastor and he loved me the hard way through my wife and he loved me the hard way through people that really cared about me. And in this situation in the book is where this Ethiopian finds someone who's willing to love him the hard way. And so God didn't save me just because I was a charity case. And God didn't save you because you were someone who didn't deserve it. You deserved, I get it, we're undone in his presence. We didn't deserve anything. I get that. But he loved you enough to bring his love the hard way to save you. Amen. And because he loved you that much, we should be willing to love people who don't love us. Don't even like us. But we should carry the gospel to them. So do you know that God loves you? I mean, really, he really loves you right now, not for what you're going to be, not for whenever you get this figured out, not for whenever you're living a perfect and holy life, but literally as you're walking toward the better things of God and you're taking steps toward the better lifestyle that the word of God tells us to live, he loves you more than anything else right now. And he can't love you any more than he loves you or else he would not be in character with who he is. Because his character is love, and he does not love less than or more than. He loves undeniably. So the massive biblical reality is that God 
embraced us, even in our hesitation, he embraced me. Even in our, our, our lack of understanding and our affection, he reaches for us. And so in those points of understanding how lost I was, I decided that I was going to reach for those that nobody else would reach for. There was a, as I closed, there was a young lady by the name of Ashley Beale, I believe was her first name. She was a Stanford graduate, and she went to a very difficult place in Africa to begin to start at work. And I don't have all the details of the story because her life ended in tragedy. It was before apartheid was defeated and they were there was a lot of segregation going on in Africa. If you understand the history of it, you know that they segregated based upon the amount of melanin in their skin. And there was a group of people that came to North Cape to work, a group of men, and they were not the same color as the others, and so they pushed them out and they started Gudawatu, I believe is how you say the city. They started this place, and there was a lot of violence there, and there was a lot of things that happened there. And there were seven young men who rose up against the apartheid, and they were killed by the police officers of North Cape. And of course, in that time, they were pardoned for those murders of those seven young boys. And it caused such social unrest. And Sister Beale went there after apartheid had broken, she was able to get into the country, and unfortunately, four young men, four boys at the time, murdered her. And while they were murdering her, there was racial slurs from the mob of people that were there watching. And as bad as that situation was, the parents, you know what they did to those four young boys? They pardoned them in the love of Christ. They loved the hard way. I don't know how you do something like that, but that's got to be God's love because there's no human love like that. That's got to be God's love showing up through them. And they decided to start an organization and they built a church in that city. It's 98% African-American in that culture, in that church, and they started an organization that helps a social organization I'm sorry, her name was Amy Beale. And in that nonprofit organization that helps that community, they have made an impact with the Amy Beale Foundation in the town in Africa where she was killed. And two of those boys that murdered her are now serving in that nonprofit organization because someone loved them the hard way. This is what God will do with his kind of love through us. And I can't explain it any other way than to tell you that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Amen. Did he die for you? Yes, he died for you as well. And he came to save us and to redeem us. And we sure needed it. Anybody sure need the love of God in your life? Anybody sure need the love of God to help you love somebody who's unlovable right now? Would you stand with me together? Jesus, we pray 
as we stand to close this service to ask, Lord God, that you just shed more love into our life, that you would help us to understand that we don't have to feel worthy. We don't have to have our feelings inform us that we are uh, ones who are allowed to come to you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, but we need to be informed by the word of God that your blood and your sacrifice has undone everything in us to where we need you so desperately but even in our desperation we understand that we can put on the perfect life of Christ Jesus and that it would cause us to go down in the watery grave in baptism and it would cause us to take on your spirit and and speak in a language that we don't even understand that the gift of the Holy Ghost is so precious to show us your love in difficult times that you put your love inside of us and that that love is the progenitor of all things that change us it begins to work from the inside out so somebody in this room today needs your love to begin to work from the inside out and I pray that you would do that right now as we pray together God as we open our hearts to you that you would speak to them and say don't don't talk like that to them anymore don't don't act like them anymore don't do those things anymore because not only are we image bearers of the most high but they the ones that are difficult to love they are also beautiful image bearers of Christ Jesus our God and our Savior so I'm asking right now that you give us capacity Jesus to love the hard way you give us capacity God to stretch us grow our hearts don't let us be little heart people don't let us be those ones that let our lives just spiral into the same kind of thinking the same kind of ways and well I was just raised this way this is just how my family is no he's put his love inside of us and Lord would you expand our hearts would you make us have bigger hearts toward those that don't know you would you help us to run when was the last time we changed the way Christians are viewed and we ran to those that nobody cared about we ran to those that didn't have love in their life that didn't even know what it's like to have a loving touch or a loving caring person in their life but we can be the love of Jesus to this world and I pray over each individual right now that you would let them be your love to this world and let them run to those even if they have to take the hard way to get there like Philip did.